Welcome to the Week in Sports Cars, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. And that's right, my British brother, the man who would never exit, much less Brexit our hearts, Graham Goodwin. You are where? Burrum? Purum? I don't even, I couldn't uh, spell it, much less say it, but tell us where you are and what you're doing. Well, as you can hear, guys, and good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, I am indeed in the fine kingdom of Thailand, Buram, Chang International Circuit, cars on track for free practice one for the final round of the 2019-2020 Asian Le Mans series, where we'll get the final three automatic invitations for the 2020 Le Mans 24 hours determined this weekend. So with apologies, but also, I guess you could see it as an audible bonus uh, from the weekend sportscast this week for uh, those noisy darn critters that are the 23 cars we've got circulating here with just an hour and four minutes to go uh, for the first free practice session here i think marshall that's just going to about cover the time we've got available this morning yeah knowing that you are there indeed making time to record you do have an hour and you actually need to start writing once the session is over in about an hour well that uh that more or less tells us how long we have to record so let's do this my friend uh we have some things i don't know if you heard there was something that happened related to the FIA World Endurance Championship. Um, I don't know. It's almost like we got one, maybe one question, half a question about it. I'm not sure. Um, all kidding aside, you have not enough time. I don't have enough time for us to do all the questions, including IMSA, fun, and general, as we normally do on this listener-driven show. So with the hour we have... Why don't we burrow into our WEC, Asian Le Mans series, European Le Mans series, and ACO topics, better known as WEC as a Malmzeco, and save the IMSA and the other good stuff for next week when we can talk about the race post at uh, the Asian Le Mans series event where you're at, the Lone Star Le Mans at Circuit of the Americas with the WEC, and who knows whatever else. So why don't we get rocking and rolling with you being our maven, our sage of Wekasm Elms Echo. We're going to start with a question from Daniel Summersgill. Hey, Daniel. Do you think it would be acceptable, Graham, for all parties, the ACO and the WEC and Toyota and Glickenhaus, to delay the introduction of Hypercar until 2021 and use the same time to test and develop until LMDH is launched? He says, hashtag me personally. I see no alternative. Uh, I think the answer is, I think you've just lost your opportunity to do just that because with Rebellion Racing saying they're going to stop, it's again cutting back on the available options for cars to be in the top class. And I think they've they've got, you know, not an uber shambles, but a bit of a mini crisis um, in terms of that bridging year. Toyota... Uh, we've been hearing from Stephen Kilby for Daily Sports Comfort Racer uh, today, uh, my time, that uh, Toto are making sure that people don't see their somewhat questioning statements post-Valkyrie as being uh, any kind of sign of doubt. They will be there. I believe, MP, that uh, the one that no one's talking about, Mike Hollis, looked pretty close. Uh, latest information I've actually had is that Mike Hollis may be 
uh, the next one to appear, certainly before. And by the way, excellent job from you with the Racer piece, uh, catching up with Jim Glickenhaus. And if you haven't read that, do read it. Read it on Racer.com. Effectively, half season for the Glickenhaus Series Series Seven, though the car, in some form at least, will be at the Le Mans 24 Hours, even if only in a mock-up uh, format. So I think the answer is they're going to have Toyota. They should have by Collis. As for Ginetta, I think there's a difficult conversation for the ACO to have with a somewhat pumped-up uh, Lawrence Tomlinson, who's very unhappy indeed about the way in which the LMDH thing has appeared with no retendering of the LMP2 chassis uh, process. That's a, a, a process he had every reason to expect he would have a shot at. Uh, so whether or not we see him recommitting with the LMP1 car I think is open to question and, and you know some would say correctly so in those circumstances so do I think they're going to delay it 100% no I don't what do I think we're going to see with the WEC next season well there's the question beyond that I think things you know subject to what you're going to tell me what you know about LMDH um, in the abstract MP I think things are looking pretty good moving forward but yes there is that gaping hole in 2020 2021 where to be blunt the top class looks a little empty and that's where things are not fun so having spent i don't know half hour maybe slightly longer 40 minutes on the phone with wc ceo gerard Nouveau this morning Quite in, and this is something we had planned for a couple of weeks. By chance, uh, things went sideways with Aston Martin. And I've heard that Aston Martin press officer Simon Strang is mad with me and says that what I wrote was inaccurate. It's funny when I reach out and you, I connect with the guy and he can't be bothered to help and shuffles me off to someone else who can't be bothered to help. I don't know if you get to complain or whinge afterwards, Graham, that uh, if there were any air quote inaccuracies... Um, yeah, I don't know if you get. I don't know if you get to not help and then complain. But uh, well, anyway, uh, I can tell you. Well, I'll just say, uh, how's this? I didn't pull what I wrote out of my backside. Uh, believe it or not, I did speak with other people who gave me full confidence into what I was writing. But I'm just sharing that as an aside because, you know, I'm that guy. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, my, my view on this one, by the way, in terms of the timing of these things is, look, we try as best we possibly can in instances where there are significant stories like this to do the right thing, to make sure the information that's out there is accurate. For that matter, to give some of these guys who are going to be directly affected an opportunity to hear it from their own people, um, which was certainly pertinent in this, uh, this occasion. You know, best is quite often better than first in the uh, in these moments but uh, yeah i think some of that sentiment that you're you're expressing there at the end of the day there was no real help available was there we've got to go with the information we've actually got when you're sure it's absolutely correct and that's exactly what happened here so we move on valkyrie um as far as the aston martin uh, uh efforts is concerned as a factory effort is gone um and we see what we get for 2020 2021 I think if I were the WEC, I'd be showing Mr. Tomlinson and co. some love right now. Um, you know, we've already lost Rebellion Racing. Uh, we lost SMP Racing in a manner in which I think was distinctly avoidable. Um, and I think right now we need to respect the fact that people are putting time, money, efforts into expensive 
time-consuming and complex programs and do what they can to make sure those programs continue for as long as they can be competitive. That's just madness. Well, the one thing, <laughs> the one thing in my conversation, or of the many things in the conversation with Gerard to say, uh, to offer, is there is an absolute desire to continue without any changes. Um, I do know that when I spoke with him this morning saying, can you, you know, at that point they were still waiting to hear if Toyota was going to recommit, having said they're going to step back and evaluate that information he had not heard. But at least when we spoke this morning, he said simply in terms of continuing with hypercar as planned for the September, 2020 launch, not the formula as a whole, just going forward on the date when we said we would, he said it's too early to answer this question. Uh, so could that answer have evolved today since Toyota uh, has told Stephen Kilby that, yes, we are pressing forward with our hypercar? Very likely. I think they, Very likely. I think it has to. has to, because what alternative do they have? The one thing Toyota specifically, and by the way, repeatedly specifically counted out, is any further career for the current TSO 50. That car will not continue beyond the Le Mans 24 hours this year. And, you know, as we wrote just a few weeks ago, uh, active consideration being given to, I think, go and try to blow the doors off some of the records that uh, Porsche set with their 919 um, hybrid tribute, uh, the Evo car. So that could be a bit of fun. But, yeah, it's it's a tricky time, isn't it? We've had a catalogue of bad news, and we could do some good news. And whilst we all think that's going to be coming in terms of commitment from some of the manufacturers to LMDH, whether or not that's before or by Sebring or before or by Le Mans, that is now sorely needed on both sides of the Atlantic. One thing I will say, by the way, with Toyota, because it's a you, know, you, you, you take note of what's written about these things by others, and for that matter, by fans who are following this as closely as they, they can, is I think it's a very different situation for the teams that have committed to hypercar around whether or not their cars will be accepted in IMSA races. Remember, that was never part of the deal for Hypercar. That was never on the table. So I don't think it's a, a go/no-go for any of the three uh, outfits that are still in the uh, still in the mix. That would be Toyota. It would be Glickenhaus. It would be Bicolis. Whether or not they can race at the Rolex 24 Hours, for instance, was never on offer for a Mon Hypercar. It's distinctly different when you get to LMDH, where that is the modus operandi. That's the core, the USP, if you like, of what they're proposing for convergence. So I think we can decouple the two and dial down the drama a little on whether or not IMS will accept Hypercar. Yeah. We also have a question here from Pete, uh, 29012918, a very similar topic. Uh, Let's see, expect some questions like these, Graham, Sam, uh, Abul Samid, with at best three Le Mans hypercars uh, and possibly none for the 20-21 season. What are the chances that the WC and ACO might just allow current generation IMSA Daytona Prototype Internationals to run next season and then transition to LMDH. Sam says, seems like with the BOP needed for hypercar and DPI uh, and LMP2, I'm sorry, DPIs might just fit into the same lap times planned for hypercars. 
Um, well, you know what? It's a strange thing. I almost wrote last week exactly that story that perhaps this is something that should be considered. I, for my view, I don't think they can. But in the same spirit that when the United Sports Car Championship came together and we had that one-off joining of the clans, if you like, where the two races uh, run on the same uh, weekend, and I can't immediately remember where that was. I'm sure you're going to uh, you're going to immediately I pop. Tell up you film. that it just sounded to me like you said clan and racists, and my mind went to a completely <laughs> different topic. It is Black History Month here in America, Goodwin. Be a little bit sensitive. God, you're a hateful no. man. I'm a terrible, terrible individual. But I, I have to say, maybe, just maybe, there's an opportunity here to show the unification that's coming for that class by maybe having a race, maybe two races, where there's a separate class for the DPIs if those manufacturers want to come. I see no reason why not. Um, so do I think they should be welcomed into the FIWC? I think that would be difficult at this stage. And the other thing to take into account here is that's probably not going to be a positive for the Ibsen WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Always putting aside, by the way, that there are sufficient cars out there to maintain parallel programs. There, there is, for instance, a Mazda RT24P that is based in Europe, um, a Multimatic, that's their test car. And my understanding is that we're going to see brand new chassis uh, for the Mazda program after Sebring this year. So the cars that we've currently seeing will race and have raced, of course, at Daytona uh, and at Sebring. We will not be seeing the chassis that actually start the IMSA season beyond that. There are brand new chassis on the way. So cars are potentially available. It is an interesting question. It would be very interesting to find whether or not that had been discussed in any way, shape or form uh, at a management level. And more interesting still to find out whether or not there's any... Um, feeling amongst the teams and the manufacturers, whether at North American level or at global level, whether or not that might be something that's attractive to come and put a toe in the water. Uh, I'd particularly like, by the way, uh, an opportunity for those manufacturers to display the cars at Le Mans this year. Um, not to race them, but actually to have the cars uh, actually running uh, at speed around the circuits for display, I think, again, would be good messaging. You know, this is, we hope, a brave new era. Uh, we're going to see all sorts of fun and games at Le Mans this year, but I think actually a kind of a genuine handshake, a corporate handshake here, uh, uh, showing what the potential is and the positives are, I think would be a great message for the manufacturers. It would be a great message for the fan base to say, this is real. This is making a difference, not just in a couple of years' time, but right now. Throw in something here quickly, Graham, that you and I and everyone else knows would never happen because the FIA is involved. And that is... We don't know what's going to happen, what hypercar will look like here six-ish months from now when the new hypercar formula is meant to debut. We assume there will be two Toyotas ready. We assume uh, Baikalis will be there. I should also mention having spoken with uh, Gerard today and having asked him specifically, brother, could you tell me anything about Baikalis to make me believe that it's going to happen? I figure if anyone would know, it's the guy in charge of the series. His answer, um, let's just say that he is also uh, hopeful and anticipating hearing things from Mr. Collis that would 
settle his concerns. But nonetheless, we know Graham in September, there's the possibility if this Baikalis thing is real for there to be three cars. Who knows if Toyota could crank out another, make it four. There's a possibility of hypercar launching, but we know it's going to look weak and small for the first yeah. half of the championship. Assuming everything goes according to plan with Jim Glickenhaus, who, in speaking with Gerard today as well, he mentioned his name many times in the conversation, so that should make Jim happy, knowing he was left out a couple of days ago. We could have a th- uh, another car. Jim said there's a client who says they might want to buy one as well. There could be as many as two uh, SCG 007s coming. So if we're talking by f- this month, next year, there's a possibility of four to five. Okay, we got yep. something then. Do you think, though, in a non-FI world where everything is super strict and regulated and you can't think or talk without there being a rule approved by a governing board, there's just a part of me that says, man, since we know we're really not going to have enough cars for true convergence, two different series, two different formulas playing together until January of 2022 at Daytona, it just feels like we could free ball it a little bit. Hey, as LMP1 or LMP1 hybrid and non-hybrid, okay, we're good. Come, let's go. Here in September, DPIs, come on, let's go do it. Like, we're kind of having to make this stuff up because we don't have a real proper hypercar class to launch. I know it's more of a rhetorical question than anything, but in a non-FIA-governed world, I think this might happen. Do you think there's any chance in a FIA-governed world where it actually could? Uh, certainly not in September at Silverstone. No, you know, I mean, you know. T- there's two things to add here. Number one is, remember what we both said uh, in the wake of the Convergence press conference about effectively something of a bit of a power play from IMSA and the ACO, making it very clear who owned what, and that uh, they were going to the FIA for approval of these regulations. But there being a bit of an undercurrent of, you know, what I think both of us perceived as, best you say yes, yeah. Um, that's number one here. Second point is, you will recall that multiple times, what feels like well over a year ago, you and I discussing, if you're going to go down the road of a BOP formula for your top class, come one, come all. Bring it. You know, is it a bigger job for the technical department uh, of the organizing body? Of course it is. But frankly, that shouldn't be the defining factor as to whether or not we actually get five cars or seven cars. Um, The the one not to forget, by the way, because it's not done yet, is the fact that there is a grandfathered LMP1 aspect of this. So, you know, we're not going to see the rebellions, uh, certainly not in rebellion's hands. And I've, I've got that, by the way, I'm not saying that because I know there's anything else in the mix, simply because I don't think we should ignore that. Um, but uh, then the Ginettas are also in the mix as well. And, and frankly, moves need to be made now to bridge whatever credibility gaps have emerged with the decisions that have been taken about what's going to happen you know, in a year and a half and two years' time. Yet this is going to have to be a credible bridging year to get to the point where I hope, and there's an element where I'm going to say I expect what we're going to see when we get to the LMDH era to be something that's got potential to be quite extraordinary. But let's not, let's not kind of basically kill it um, by missing the opportunity 
to show that there's a new attitude around. There's a couple of things that have got to happen here, MP. One of the things that's got to happen is it's truly got to be an open book between those two championships. The second thing that's got to stop here is the tone of communication where you've got Aston Martin, who let's not forget are still a partner in the FIWC. Indeed. I, oh, Jesus. Yeah, I, I wasn't very... I, I found the, the extraordinary. I mean, I, at the end of the day... This, Graham, is, is the, the relationship equivalent of screw you and I'm taking the dog. And you go... Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, hate, I hate to say this, but you, you're, you still live here. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I gotta admit, it's not as if I understand anyone's strategy for anything. I certainly didn't get the strategery on this one because uh, this this is pooping where you eat, man. Well, I mean, I think it's time for a bit of a wake up call. You know, we're in a new world now. Uh, it's a completely new world, and I think it's time to take a step away from where we were. We are not in the position where we've got the luxury of three major. Uh, hybrid LMP1 programs, we're now in a world where you've got to be more understanding of the challenges, the opportunities that the current automotive world provides. And, you know, I, I was disappointed by the tone of the communication involved here. I'll say that. You know, I think we need to recognize that I might have just failed in triggering the official jingle of our official soapbox sponsor, Boosh Shoes Hammer Emporium. Andrew Backer, one of our listeners, thank you. That has gotten, no joke, rave reviews from the silly folks that listen to our show. So guess what? It's a couple minutes late. Going to roll into that jingle right now because that was a good, great little soapbox moment there, Mr. Goodwin. Hammers for you. Hammers for me. Hammers for everyone. Christoph Boosh Shoes Hammer Emporium. And we're back. All right, Graham. Uh, we got a bunch of folks, too, who've asked similar questions. William Matson, uh, one of them, Peter McKay, on the how do we maybe add to a class that's starting off a new life depleted by just having a, a come one, come all, let's go play, and we'll figure out the balancing later routine that you just discussed. Let's, you know, we probably should have gone with this first. But again, in another, your co-host, host, editor, and whatnot has failed. Uh, our man, Nick Sophocleus, Sophocleus, so I could pronounce that in a very non-child-friendly way. I apologize, Nick. Our man, Nick. Let's just say Nick. Yes, yes. Uh, asks, is it possible to start with exactly what exactly is happening now? And uh, what the roadmap actually looks like. He says, I'm a little bit lost. You know what, Nick? That's uh, my fault. Should I have a crack at it? Should oh, I have a crack at it? Yes, but I need to ask up front. Should I trigger the jingle again? No, no, okay. no, no. Okay. Not a soapbox. Okay. It's, it's kind of, it's top class 101, if you like. So let's, the easiest way to do this is to start by talking about one championship. So let's talk about the FIWC. Currently, the top class LMP1, single class for both manufacturer, hybrid, hybridized cars. These are, you know, around the kind of just shy of a thousand combined horsepower. Um, it is, uh, 
around 500 or so horsepower from the internal combustion engine topped up with a mighty punch from the hybrid system alongside that sits a subclass if you like is within the same class of uh privateer entered non-hybridized uh lmp1s big power much more power than the uh the tota internal combustion engine but no hybrid punch they are governed they're uh, overseen by uh, a success handicap system which means the more points you get and the higher up the table you are uh, effectively the more you're reeled in for the next race and that's been the reason why we've seen rather closer competition at least on lap pace and at shanghai with a race win from rebellion that's where we are the end of this season and this season finishes at Le Mans bye bye the uh, the LMP1 hybrids the uh, existing privateer cars can continue in an as yet undefined grandfathered restricted performance restricted fashion alongside the new Le Mans hypercars now I'm going to talk here in real terms rather than where we were because we don't now have to talk about the GT based cars anymore we're talking now uh, about prototype based cars uh, the Toyota the Bicolis the Glickenhaus uh, they don't have to uh, provide road car versions of that uh, race car but my understanding is that all three entities will uh, these are effectively uh, way less uh, involved on the aero side far more of a road car look about them much more mild hybrid uh, powertrain in the case of the Toyota I believe it's a hybrid as well for the Bicolis the latest we heard it was Jim Glickenhaus going for uh, as outlined in your piece an 840 horsepower twin turbo v6 so that will be the combined class next season 2020 2021 thereafter it kicks in for uh, the lmdh class which yes effectively is uh, the dpi 2.0 or dpi 2.1 whatever you want to call it the next generation of uh, what we now know nowadays as dpi and that as things stand now, those which are going to be based on next generation LMP2 chassis, again with a mild hybrid, again big power uh, engines, uh, those will sit alongside in WC competition at Le Mans, the hypercars and IMSA, the eligibility of the hypercars has yet to be determined and it will kick in for IMSA in the 2022 season. I think that's the easiest way of saying it, isn't it? It is. And so fast forwarding a bit here, Nick, we have a situation where schedule wise, the plan is slash was like still might be once the 24 hours of Le Mans is completed in the middle of June, we will have a couple of months break, come back in September to start the new FIA WEC season, the LMP1 hybrid class that toyota is the only one representing now or, or model in that cl- uh, form of rule that will be replaced again we believe hope and think with hypercar that's been the plan the aston martin news which really has shaken things rather heavily that is the thing that has destabilized these plans no disrespect to the small volume manufacturers like Glickenhaus, the zero-volume manufacturers like Bicolis, uh, we had two automotive 
manufacturers, large, well-known, highly reputed, storied companies that were going to go head-to-head to launch Hypercar. Although we weren't expecting big numbers at Silverstone in September, we at least had the thing necessary. Once, you know, the second car came to life, auto racing was born. Well, two manufacturers that we can go forward with, with Aston Martin stepping away and not going forward. All of a sudden, we have questions as to who might be ready to launch this formula in September. That's where we're at right now. Thankfully, Stephen Kilby was able to report today from Circuit of the Americas that Toyota is indeed pressing ahead with their hypercar. They pulled back on that the last few days while dealing with the Aston Martin news, but they have, air quote, recommitted. So we expect Toyota to have their cars ready to race in September. We think, based on everything Graham has said so far, we think the WEC will indeed launch its hypercar formula as intended. We don't know if there are going to be many cars to do that or to help do that, but that's going to go forward nonetheless. We then still have quite a bit of time until Glickenhaus, the SCG 007, is meant to join the hypercar class in February next year at South America, uh, South America, South Africa, the Kailami circuit, Peugeot, which was meant to partner with the Rebellion team, uh, which is not because Rebellion has announced they are quitting the sport as a actual racing team. We expect Peugeot to be involved in 2022. They initially announced, Nick, that they would come in with a hypercar. We have heard some pretty strong suggestions. They may indeed be shifting to building an IMSA-style LMDH. So this is the what is exactly happening. We don't know. We think. Uh, there's a bit of a timeline here where, in theory, at the start of the 2021 WEC season, Graham, in September of 21. Both LMDHs and hypercars will be allowed to compete together under convergence. There are, at least right now, very few who suggest IMSA teams or brands competing in IMSA will show up early ahead of the 2022 IMSA debut of the LMDH formula, will show up a few months early, to compete in the WEC with their LMDHs uh, just because of the cost to do so. So even then, when we should have Toyota, Glickenhaus, possibly by Collis if it's real, ready to compete with a larger series, I'm sorry, a larger base in the second season of Hypercar starting in September of 21, we believe... LMDHs will be allowed to compete alongside in the WEC then. We just don't know if yep. there are going to be any LMDH takers in the WEC, but we do, we are confident there will be plenty when we start January 2022 in IMSA. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, let's see, where else should we go? Uh, Daniel Summersgill also asks what's likely to be the top class in the WEC next season if there is no hypercar. I think well, we kind of covered that. that. I think we can say 
Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I think the answer is that there will be. Understand the reasons for the questions, but there, I think the reality is there will be. Um, worst comes the worst. Will it be Toyota as a standalone? Well, well, let's hope not. But uh, I think that's what the plan would be. And you know, talking to an industry insider about this uh, last week, uh, their view was very simple. There's two games in play here for Toyota. One is, of course, they'd like to be standard bearers and the most successful for what they hoped was going to be at least a healthy uh, group of hypercar manufacturers. But even without that, they are in the business at the moment, staying in the game. They've got their eye on zero emissions technology to come in the next few years. But beyond that, investing in building a racing legacy, which is something that at this level... Until very recently, they didn't have. They had a fine record of finishing second. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're in a position where, to be blunt, in half a decade, nobody will remember who it was that they beat. They will simply remember, well, that's not quite fair, but very few will remember who they beat. What they will remember is that Tota were multiple world champions and multiple winners of the Le Mans 24 Hours. And don't underestimate that in terms of the corporate value of that success. I know that sounds terribly kind of false to many people, forced, but the reality is that has real commercial value if you're basing your racing efforts around your ability to say world champion, about putting images of your car on billboards and in newspaper ads. That, you know, don't forget that that's part of the game as well. Would we rather that was better? Of course we would. But for the moment, um, I don't see any risk today to the Toyota program for next season. Let's go to a question from Aaron Lloyd Collins. That's a fine name, by the way. This is one that's a little more abstract, Graham, but I really would love for you to drill into this. Aaron says, taking into account the current landscape of the category, how long do you think the hypercar class will be feasible in the eyes of manufacturers? And I want to shift the the question a little bit, Graham, to not necessarily long-term, right? How long do we think hypercar might last? But how feasible do you think the manufacturers, unnamed manufacturers, Gerard Nouveau has said, are looking in and are interested. They aren't here yet. They haven't committed, but they're looking. How feasible do you think hypercar remains to those manufacturers just in the very quick wake of what has gone down with Aston Martin and the viability of the class having been left on the shoulders, frankly, uh, on the shoulders, frankly, of Toyota and Toyota alone? Do you think long-term viability might be reviewed as a a shaky thing now or do you think no well, they're still going to come two questions i think uh, are in, inherent here one is where does it sit with the manufacturers that have already committed and the other one is how viable does it look to anybody else to join now the, i'll answer the second one first less viable if the only criteria is money and why shouldn't it be the manufacturers will be looking at two things what do we need to spend to be there and the second thing is, how competitive can we be? And of course, we're talk- talking about very smart people at Toyota, at Persia, etc. If they determine that they believe there is a performance advantage to a hypercar of an LMDH, then there's every chance that they will 
commit in that direction. And let's not forget, by the way, Peugeot committed to a hypercar program. In effect, they've already allocated the money at that level. We know LMDH should be cheaper, but Peugeot have already committed at a higher level than that. So I think you're right. There's every chance they're certainly evaluating it. No doubt about that at all. But if their big brains say... We think this has got a better opportunity for us, either in terms of the styling freedom that we've got for whatever the concept is they're going to present, or they think there might be a performance advantage, um, you know, uh, inherent, even with a balance of performance uh, uh, process, then there's no reason why they shouldn't commit right now, because effectively the funds have already been committed. Uh, so that is, in terms of our current uh, manufacturers. Second part to that, by the way, is it needs, whether privately or publicly, the uh, rulemakers to be very specific with those manufacturers for how long they are committing to the formula. So how long is a hypercar going to be valid in the FIWC, even if you've only got one team standing after a year or two years? They need that reassurance. They need it right now. Will others come, I think, is a much bigger question because at that point you're dealing with manufacturers that have not committed the money yet. And that's an altogether more difficult question if you're the guy with the flip chart in front of the board saying, well, we can do this and that's going to cost uh, X amount of um, you know, uh, uh, euros or we can uh, do this, which is going to cost twice the amount of euros and to which the answer to the, the question is where can we race those cars is the same place. What's the, the, uh, the, the process in terms of how competitive we can be? Is that a much faster car? Well, theoretically, no, that it's not. I think that's a far more difficult question. I think with LMDH on the table, the prospect of attracting more mainstream manufacturers to hypercar has all but evaporated. There we go. And I'm, I wish I had a half jingle to roll out. We'd be playing that right now. Uh, let's go to our pal, Andras Lantos, who I believe is submitting a question for the first time. Uh, he says, oh, I'm a big nice. fan yes, of LMDH and hypercar convergence, but one aspect makes me nervous. Andras says, I read that Toyota now will be spending around 50 million euros on its hypercar project, while LMDH can be around 10 to 15, question mark. The number's a bit high, but we'll, we'll let Graham answer that. He says, what would Toyota feel if their 50 million euro car was beaten at Le Mans by a 15 million euro LMDH helped by BOP? He asks, do you think it's sustainable for the two categories to live alongside each other for a long time, or are they destined to turn into one final unified class? Uh, the, the answer is the latter eventually, but the answer, of course, would be disappointed, gutted, but it wouldn't be the first time they've had their asses handed to them, them on um, by, you know, another program. Um, they are racers, you know. They happen to be racers owned by a corporate entity. They've gone with a rule set. They deserve to be treated with respect for that. Um, but they've also got, let's not forget, a program alongside that which involves a road-going version of that car. That is something that is rather more difficult for the manufacturers that may well come for LMDH to achieve. I think we're going to see a, a lot more extreme concepts from those manufacturers if they commit. But you know, Toyota have built up a program of development 
of promotion and marketing based around their hybrid technology as already very effectively showcased by the TSO50 moving on into the GR concept um, to show a kind of high cost high value uh, road going version of that car uh, as a bit of a kind of figurehead for their brand so um, the reality is their program is, is established, their program is a known known and the fact that someone can then come ahead and do it cheaper, might there be a bit of you know, Homer Simpson type go, uh, maybe but uh, it doesn't affect the fact that they have evaluated um, their program and seen that it actually ticks the boxes uh, the, the, the point beyond that is uh, for the WEC I think in particular and to a lesser extent to IMSA too um, something had to shift, something had to change. And they were responding to the uh, input from each other and from their current and prospective manufacturer partners to say, here's what we need to push the button. You can't ignore that. And happily, they didn't ignore that. Now we've got that awful, awkward wait to find out what those kind of nice words about people being interested in the concept turn into in terms of cold, hard, cubic dollars and euros. Ooh, we could warm up a little bit. You know, they don't have to be super cold, but all right, where are we going to go? We're going to go to David Harvey. says, hi, with my favorite racing category facing yet more challenges. He also says, and thanks for the excellent piece on Race Today MP. Would you reflect on this question? Andy Palmer, hero, villain, or just over-optimistic and misguided? What says you, Mr. Uh, Goodwin, and please tell folks who Andy Palmer is? Andy is CEO of Aston Martin. Prior to that was at Nissan for many, many years. Um, Where do we start? Andy, big enthusiast and supporter of motorsport as being something that can actively influence uh, consumer choice with an automotive brand that immediately needs to be celebrated because there's fewer and fewer of those guys out there he's a massive enthusiast okay uh, and races himself by the way which is another thing to actually add uh, the machinations of what has happened on Andy's watch with Nissan and then beyond that with Aston Martin look I'm not an automotive industry fiscal expert what I can tell you is of course in terms of what's happened with Aston Martin all of this has happened in an environment that to be blunt few people could have predicted even 10 years ago even 5 years ago the, the uh, prevailing environment for what happens in terms of where, where the technology is going, the way that regulation is going, the way that legislation is going um, and you know he's a businessman planned for Aston Martin's expansion and consolidation that's uh, that's uh, taking the company public did not go the way that they intended and that's left them in a position of some let's use a, a slightly emotive word vulnerability which has required that emergency funding to come in which means that the voices um, and the interest that are now controlling some of that strategic uh, direction and decision making um, are now different than they were a year ago. Shouldn't be ignored, though, that it's pretty clear that Andy holds their confidence because he's staying. Yeah. So when you go in and spend a very large amount of your own money or your company's money or the people who are lending that money to you or your company, you do a thing called due diligence. Due diligence looks at the financials and it looks at the people. 
in those circumstances and in the situation where things stand at the moment, if you've got a significant player at the top of that company responsible for some of the decision-making and or the delivery and they stay, that usually means one thing. Due diligence uh, basically came out pretty clean on Andy Palmer. I'm glad he stayed. I have only known Andy to be a good man and I've only had great oh, faith yeah. in him. Uh, yeah. Uh, if I'm thinking, if I can throw in my answer here. Um, I mean, hero is a little bit over the top, but uh, he certainly isn't a villain, uh, over optimistic or misguided. So I would say a very skilled person who I hope can maintain what makes Aston Martin special because I do have concerns that the folks who've brought in an infusion of money and are taking senior most position. Uh, let's just say their sensibilities aren't one that I exactly trust right now. So I love the idea of Andy being handed a lot of money to do good things with the company. I don't like the idea of new folks coming in trying to shape Aston Martin into something different than what it is. So um, let's go to a question from Don L. Uh, he says, well, I'm a bit confused about Aston Martin's statement, Graham, that Convergence was to blame for leaving Hypercar. How would new yep. LMDH regulations have changed their hypercar plan? He says, thanks, and keep up the it's great work. They're very simple. I therefore expect an immediate, uh, immediate announcement from Aston Martin that they're going for the cheaper option. No? Oh, okay then. Um, that doesn't make sense, does it? It shouldn't make any difference. If that's the car you think is going to go out and support your brand, if... Uh, in exactly the same way as I've said about Toyota and about Peugeot, if you've allocated the funding and that program is on track, then the, and, and it's a balanced performance formula, why does it matter if someone else is spending less than you? If the car is competitive, why does it matter? So the only way in which that makes sense is if Aston Martin declare that they are in the room for LMDH, they will therefore take the cheaper option. Uh, without that, it doesn't make sense, which means that it's possibly, um, how do we put this? Garbage? I believe that's a French Camouflage. word. No, no. Camouflaging. Should we say that? Uh, some, uh, some other issues. Okay? So I don't want to rubbish anybody in this instance. I just think they've been an, ex an, a, an extremely unfortunate and, frankly, totally avoidable exchange of, you know, um, somewhat uncontrolled messaging. Let's put it that way. That's fair enough. And yeah, to the to your point, Graham, and add, just adding this, Donnell, very quickly, uh, they were already entering a formula in hypercar where it was going to be balanced, at least for the first year, against LMP1 non-hybrid. So there's already going to be balancing against cars that are far cheaper, uh, cheaper to build, cheaper to own, cheaper to run. So that was an absolute, as you mentioned, that was a diversionary tactic. Uh, other quick thing here, too, even within Hypercar, we saw our friend Jim Glickenhaus in a press release announce that the new SCG007 will cost you 2 million euros, which in Americans about $2.2 million dollars. That's not cheap, of course, but that is not rudely expensive by any means. So just sharing that if we're talking 
LMDH, who knows, uh, performance balancing and cost and cheaper cars, those might beat us. All the things you might drum up as reasons to say, oh, well, we don't agree with this convergence thing. Uh, Look, man, you already signed up to a thing where you knew at least two of your competitors, that being Glickenhaus and, again, air quote by Collis, if they're real, were going to be fractions of what your car costs and have fractions of the development done. So let's not, again, this is the thing that pissed off most people that I've spoken with both on the WEC side and the IMSA side, who have not gone on the record intentionally. But this was something where the the effect was, really, you can't just own up to your problems. you got to blame us. Final thing here, because I just want to make sure that we speak truth, not nonsense to some of this nonsense and diversionary stuff, Graham. Would I be saying accurate things if... We told our listeners that through February 15th, all you and I had heard, and I'm just picking the middle of the month, not the specific date for any reason. Just say through the middle of February, you and I have heard nothing but positive things, nothing but affirmative things about the Aston Martin Valkyrie hypercar program all on track. Lots of information coming, lots of updates, either public or private. And man, this came out of nowhere. Would that be an accurate statement, or would I be blowing just as much smoke as they did while blaming LMDH? The reality, please tell them the reality, my friend. We've it's yep. been crickets for how long? Forever. Uh, but I think the, the here's here's the thing. We've been subtly and at times less subtly asking for reassurance about uh, this is not unique about this program in particular because it's such a high profile program for ever um and i'll be blunt on this occasion we've been holding out of courtesy more than anything else uh some of the other things we've been hearing in the background some with details some without uh, as i do with a number of other uh, projects there's another major project today which if i wrote what it is that i absolutely know to be the factual truth would very much expose recent statements by a very significant entity in endurance racing to be palpably false it's not helpful to do that right now are you uh, saying christoph bushu never threatened another driver with a hammer are we debunking <laughs> this have we just lost the sponsor through your truth-telling graham goodwin what the hell uh, i think it comes down to this you get a choice in life don't you your choice in life is to um Treat people with respect and dignity and give them a moment to consider whether or not they want to tell their story or you are left to respond. In this instance, we have firmly been left to respond. It's as simple as that. Having given that distance, we've been firmly left to respond. And I think those that would seek to criticize that, whether or not it's because of the timing, whether or not it's because someone else jumps uh, in and actually tells part of the story first – you know, I've got no time for that argument. You know, I've got my way of doing these things. You've got a slightly different way of doing these things. Others got radically different way, of diff- uh, different way of doing these things. But I'm not a fan of having people blow smoke at me. Very lucky in this business that remarkably few people in the last 20 years I've caught 
absolutely stone cold lying to me. Okay, it is not something I forgive easily. Neither do I appreciate actually being told that things we put in place uh, and in front of our, our readership and our listeners in this instance are incorrect when we, we absolutely know that not to be the case. Let's see how these things emerge. I think there's a few bridges that need to be built. Okay, my brother, we're down to approximately 10 minutes to go. And I, well, well okay, we've, we've just been informed at the start of the question here from Mike Hogg. Hammer Emporium rant? Well, he says probably not, but just because we love it and it, we have only run it once? Let's go again, dang it. Hammers for you, hammers for me, hammers for everyone. Christoph Bushu's Hammer Emporium. All right, and there we go. That's pretty awesome because, you know, we got a jingle for a fake sponsor, and it's the best thing in the world. Uh, Mike says... Probably not, all right, on that Hammer Emporium rant, but are we really surprised at the Aston Martin situation? He says, there's been notable silence. Funny, it's almost like we just spoke about this. For a long time in the program, the company's financial struggles haven't exactly been hidden. Was there any real hope, Graham, in the last six months that the Valkyrie was going to appear? says, uh, were you journalists in the dark just as much as the rest of us? And he also asks... What does this do to Aston Martin Racing's credibility? Uh, it shouldn't affect Aston Martin Racing. That's a separate entity. Uh, Aston Martin Racing, uh, in the manner of ProDrive, are not the Mighty organization involved with Valkyrie. Mighty fine yep. folks there. So, put that one aside. Were we in the dark? No. But neither did we have the security of information to present what we knew. Um, the, the variety of things. Just, uh, let's, be, let's be very blunt here. Marshall and I have spoken in depth about what shards of information we could um, put together since this program was announced. And that's not unusual. That is the kind of conversation we have about a whole range of matters, some of which we'll present to our readers and listeners, some of which we won't. Um, in this instance, it was pretty clear quite some time ago there were real doubts about uh, the way this program was actually moving forward. I'll give you a couple of for instances. I've known for quite some time the numbers of people that have been engaged on this program within various entities uh, associated with it, and that number has been going down. Uh, one of the factors in terms of when to present that information publicly was, in, in one particular instance, I think it's right that the people involved, the few people that were left involved, would get to know before you, the listeners and readers, about their professional future. I wouldn't like to hear about the end of my job uh, on the pages of Daily Sports Car. That would, for, for my mind, that's not what that's supposed to be about. That is the responsibility of those responsible for directing the program. So the answer is, did we, we know more? Yes, but this is the way these things happen. I don't want to give you the Scott Atherton if you knew what we knew, but the reality is, in very many instances, we do have information. It may not be the full picture. There may be other things to emerge. There may be other factors that come into play to determine whether or not we either give you um, a required tone or even a full description of what's going on in the background. It is, as everything in life, terrifically complicated. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a major fan of the way in which, and this, by the way, is not just about sports car racing or even racing in, in total. The news market globally at the moment is a pretty poisonous place. 
speaking of poisonous places, he's gone. Uh, springtime for Hitler and Germany. Winter for Poland and France. And he hasn't called back yet. All right, I'm not going to keep singing. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that to you. I should have given you at least a little bit of warning. Hmm. Well, I'm going to hit the pause button. And, may, well, who knows? Maybe his anytime minutes ran out on his cellular telephone. But we were using Skype. So uh, let me hit pause. And hopefully I return with Graham. But if not, that might be the end of this week's episode. Be right back. And we're not going to get him back. Uh, Graham just texted to say that his laptop shut down and is installing updates and it's going to take at least 40 minutes and he needs to focus on trying to put together some sort of session report by tapping into his phone. So there you go. Guess what? We just had our own Aston Martin-esque change of plans where it's collapsed, almost collapsed the entire show, but we've saved it. We're going to be able to file this one. I am Marshall Pruitt. That was Graham Goodwin. This is The Week in Sports Cars, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, and we will speak to you next week.